Great. It's so good to see all of you again. Many of you uh, I've seen the last time I was here. Some of us go way back. It's good to see you over there. Um, Thank you, Pastor Jerome, for having me this morning to be able to open God's Word with you and to begin uh, this new or to restart this series in the book of John. So please open with me your Bibles to the book of John and uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13 begins what is known as the farewell discourse where uh, Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples and preparing them for what is about to happen. So he's preparing them for his death. He's preparing them for his his betrayal. He's betrayed preparing them for all of the events, and also for their ministry, which would follow all of these events. And so uh, this is his last will and testament, so to speak, his farewell discourse. And it's just chock full of so many wonderful messages from Jesus. I'm excited for you that you're going to be able to go through this journey in John together and uh, thankful that I can start it off. So John 13, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my... And then, and then uh, I'm sorry, I skipped. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's important. I'm glad I didn't skip that. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger 
greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want to repeat that last verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, which we have read, which we have listened to. And now, Lord, we're going to meditate on it and be instructed by it. And we pray that we would be changed and transformed by it, that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word of God. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us powerfully today and use me, Lord God, we pray, all of us together ask that you will help us with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and to receive what you have spoken, Lord Jesus. Let it become a part of our lives. Let it become at the core of who we are, our identity and our lifestyle. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, when I was pastoring at, uh, in Beach Grove, actually it's been in the news, um, I had a lady in our church who invited us over for dinner. And uh, Amy and I were humbled by that because we knew that June lived in Section 8 housing and she had less than $1,000 a month to live on. And after her divorce, she really had nothing to her name. And so we went to June's house gladly, looking forward to spending some time with June. And June was also disabled, so she was receiving disability income at that time in her life, less than $1,000 a month to live on. I don't know how she did it, but she had to be very, very careful with how she spent her money. She couldn't just go out to the grocery store without a plan and a list and just say, hey, that looks good, and buy it. She had to plan out her meals carefully. She had to plan out her budget carefully. She really didn't buy much of anything. So Amy and I were very humbled by this invitation. And so we went over to her house, and we sat at this little table with three chairs shoved up against the wall. And we had one of the most delightful visits of our entire pastorate at that church. So we're talking to June, and we're visiting with her, and she's just laughing, and we're laughing, and we're just enjoying one another's company. And then we said to her, June, we're so grateful to you for this wonderful meal. She served us a pot roast, uh, and she served us green beans, and she served us uh, corn and bread. And we said, wow, this is so great. We feel so honored. Thank you, June, for doing this. She said, well, it took me a while to have you over because I had to plan it out. I said, oh, how so? She said, well, three months ago, I bought the roast and I put it in the freezer. I found it on sale. And then she said, last month, I bought the corn and I put that in the freezer. And this month, I bought the beans and the bread. 
and now I get to have you over, and I've really been looking forward to this. I tell you, it really touched me. Inside, I thought, no, she has nothing to live on. She should not be spending her money on me. I should be giving her a 50. I can't receive such a sacrificial and generous gift. But I knew that she was being blessed in doing it, and I knew what was in her heart, and so we received it gladly. That just really reminds me a lot of what is going on here in this text, only at an even greater level. Because Jesus Christ has come. He set aside all the glory of heaven and took on human nature so that he could serve us. He took on the form of a servant so that he could serve us. I want you to think about that for a minute because it's very profound. He's God. We're his creatures. We rebelled against him and told him we could do life without him. And he came after us on a rescue mission and he loved us and he loved us to the end, even to the point of death on the cross. He was faithful in his love for us. And he demonstrates this in a symbolic act and gesture by washing their feet at dinner. This was the act of a slave. It was something that no one of their peers would dare do, and no superior should dare do for an, a subordinate person. And so Peter rejects this idea. He says, you'll never wash my feet. Never forever, literally. If you translate it literally, he's like, never forever. Well, little did he know that Jesus Christ had come to save him forever. But the only way that he could receive that salvation and that grace was to simply receive it, that he could not work for it, that he could not earn it, that the tables couldn't turn. Because if you look at the pronouns here, there's this, this emphasis here where Peter says, you can't do that to me. And Jesus says, I am going to do this to you, and if you don't receive it from me, you can't have any share in me. Now, Jesus makes it very clear, if we want to be right with God, and if we want to know Jesus, we have to freely receive what he offers. We can't turn the tables and do it ourselves. We can't do this Tower of Babel and build our way up to heaven. He has to come down and serve us and liberate us. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear the gospel again. We need to hear it regularly, and I know you do in this church, and we need to preach it to ourselves every day because it is transformational. One of the ways that the gospel is transformational is that when we encounter Jesus in the gospel, we uh, receive a new identity and a new mission simultaneously. 
And we can see that here in our text where Jesus says to them, no one is greater than his master. If I can wash your feet, then you need to go out and wash the feet of others. And so what he says is, yes, I'm Lord. Yes, I am your teacher, your rabbi. That's true. Those are my titles. That's my identity. And even more than that, he's God. But he says, if I, being in the position I'm in, can wash your feet, then certainly you can wash one another's feet. So he gave them an identity as a servant, and he gave them a mission to serve. That's what Jesus Christ does to all of us when we surrender our lives to him and to his grace. We receive the gospel, we receive his grace, and we are so powerfully impacted by it that we realize that kind of love, that kind of humility, that kind of meekness, that kind of generosity demands a response from us. And that response is thank you. And that response is a transformed life. That response is a life of obedience to the call to serve others. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you with this thought, that when we encounter Jesus in our conversion, when we encounter Jesus in our lives, we are simultaneously receiving a new identity and a new mission. It is like a defining moment. In fact, I would say it's not a defining moment. It's your defining moment. It's the defining moment of our lives. There's nothing else that can compare with what happens when Jesus Christ transforms us and then how that totally transforms the way we see ourselves, what we value, and the way that we live. The gospel has that kind of a deep impact on us. There are a lot of people that look at defining moments in their lives and they say, well, you know, when I picked that college, that was a defining moment in my life. Or when I married my husband or my wife, that was a defining moment in my life. Or when I held my child for the first time, that was a defining moment in my life. And those are all defining moments, and they can be wonderful and are. Or maybe when I had this mentor, defining moment. Or maybe when I had this, this tragedy in my life, that was a defining moment. It changed me. But I can tell you that nothing is more profoundly transformational than encountering Jesus in the gospel, receiving his grace, which he has lovingly given to us and not deserved, and then let that transform us in such a way that it totally changes how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see one another, and how we live. It does that. You can tell people that don't know the gospel by the way they act. They do not forgive. They hold grudges. They do not think of others ahead of themselves. And they are not focused in their life on the values of the kingdom of God. But someone that truly grasps the gospel is going to be transformed by it in such a way that their whole life is different. 
Jesus' logic in this text is very clear. If I can do this, and I am the supreme, then you can do this, and you can follow my example. I wonder how many of us this morning have given much thought to this very idea in recent weeks. Have you given much thought to it? Your identity in Jesus is that of a servant? Have you given much thought to that? Have you given much thought to the idea of putting others ahead of yourself? Have you given much thought to the idea that God wants me to live my life on mission for Jesus Christ? Have you given thought to that? Have you thought about the priorities and the values of your life and the things that you find very valuable and the things that you prize? How do those line up with Jesus' priorities? How does your life look uh, in comparison to, put up next to, vis-a-vis Jesus? How does it look? Does your life look like the life of your master? These are important and probing questions that we all must ask. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in our hearts, even this morning, to make sure that our lives look like the life of the Master. Because if they do not, um, there is still opportunity, even this morning, to repent and bring our lives into alignment with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to really give it some deep thought this morning, to really let the Holy Spirit probe, to meditate on these words of Jesus, and I would even say not to leave here and forget it. Put it on the lock screen on your phone. Hang it on your fridge. Put it on your dash. Remember verse 17. Verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Memorize it. Let it just come in deep into your heart. I've been going through the habit of putting things on my lock screen versus that I really want to meditate on all week. And this... One was about anger, and we've all been dealing with anger this last year. Uh, there's a lot of anger in, in people's hearts. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to give myself a pass. I, I really think Jesus expects better of me than, than, than the expressions of anger I've had going on inside of me. And so I've been memorizing that verse. And then there was another verse on the tongue. I put that one on my lock screen this last week. This verse is going on my lock screen today. I want to encourage you to meditate on it and just dwell in it. I want you to think about your identity. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are sitting at that table. Well, not sitting, but reclining. They would recline and lean in. And Jesus, shockingly, is putting on the attire of a slave, and he's got a bowl, and he's ready to wash your feet, your dirty, stinky feet. The job of a slave 
and his beautiful hands, which are about to be scarred on the cross for you, are gently washing, touching you, very intimate. They say, oh, well, that was the 12. That's not me. I mean, that was the 12. They were apostles. They were special. No. I believe this text is very much for you. It's very much for me. We should see ourselves reclined at that dinner table. We should realize that what Jesus was depicting there is what he did for you and what he did for me when he came in the form of a, of a servant and died for us on the cross. When he left the glories of heaven, emptied himself and became human, and he did not become human just temporarily, he still has forever human nature perfectly united with his divine nature. He sits in heaven interceding for you and me right now, continuing to serve us. And he still has the scars. I want to challenge you this morning to really think deeply about that and to really imagine yourself there and to take it in and think, Jesus loves me. I think there might be some here today that don't feel that way. You might think, Jesus hates me. Or Jesus doesn't like me. Jesus thinks I'm dirty. Jesus thinks I'm a problem. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He has come to transform you. And then when he does that, he sends you out to help bring that good news to others so that they also can be transformed. This is how he does it. He does not come with pomp and circumstance. He does not come with robes. He does not come with all of the, the stuff that emperors come with, with conquerors, that conquerors come with. He just comes to us. And the complete knowledge and and confidence of knowing what his mission is and who he is. And then in transforming us, we need to know who we are and then carry out the mission with him. I believe that's very much at the core of what is being said here. The Apostle Paul had some things to say uh, about this to the churches that he served. In fact, the Corinthians were some that really needed a lot of correction. The way they did the gifts didn't demonstrate love. They weren't thinking about others. They were thinking about themselves. The way they viewed ministers was equally bad. They had lots of superstars, super apostles, and they thought, Paul is not a winner we need a winner. We want to hear from winners. We want eloquent speakers. We want good-looking people. We want people that have wealth. We want people that are impressive in our culture. This is what we want, and that's the values of this world. Paul says, you know, I'm so glad to serve you in the paradox of my weakness and in the power of the gospel. I'm not going to bring you the gospel with some 
high-minded attitude. I'm not going to bring the gospel to you with all the things that you want. And there's nothing wrong with being charismatic. There's nothing wrong with being good-looking. There's nothing wrong with being accomplished. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. But Paul says that's not what changes people. And that's not the attitude Jesus had. Jesus came in humility. He had everything. So, I mean, it's not bad to have everything. Jesus has everything. But he sets it aside for you. That's how the gospel works. It flows on those kind of tracks. It runs on those tracks. So Paul says, I'm going to contradict the gospel if I come to you the way you want me to. I'm just going to come to you in humility and fear and trembling, only knowing the cross, only in weakness, which you despise, but I'm going to bring it to you that way because I know that in serving you and not even taking a dime, I am going to be able to convey something to you that is priceless, and hopefully you'll get it. And then Paul corrected the Philippians because they were biting and devouring one another. That sounds like this last year. Everybody biting and devouring one another over all kinds of things. And then I can tell you this from being at the district office and looking across the state, we've seen it come into the churches. People don't know how to discern Uh, what is happening to them and how they're being formed in our culture. They're taking their cues from the world. We need to take our cues from Jesus. And that is how we treat one another. That's how we speak to one another. That's how we serve one another. That's how we forgive one another. That's how we give one another the benefit of the doubt. We show grace to one another when there's a slight offense or even a great offense. Because we understand unity, what Jesus paid for with his precious body should not be ripped apart because we are so self-centered and so sure of ourselves and so desperate to get our way. So Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, or which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mindset that we inherit from Jesus. He says he took on the form of a servant. And in that passage, he just keeps going lower, empties himself, and he serves, and he goes to the point of death on the cross to serve us. And then it says, but God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. At that name, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so there is this thing going on in this passage where Jesus knows very well what's going to happen. He will be rejected. He has Judas uh, chomping at the bit to betray him. Uh, He has all kinds of things going on, but he confidently knows that the Father is in charge of his life so he can spend it. And he has meekness. It is true that the meek will inherit the earth. Some people do not believe that. Some Christians do not believe that. Take it by force. 
got to push my way, got to be aggressive, got to force people, you got to give them a piece of your mind, you got to take care of number one. And that is not the heart of Jesus. His heart is of the meek and mild Savior, gentle and lowly. And he comes to serve us and then teach us to do the same. So the people that are at Starbucks, I picked up on something there. If I go to Starbucks, which I don't do as often now, but uh, I try to patronize local roasters. That, that's just, I feel virtuous doing that. I, I know my wife doesn't think so when she sees the budget. But anyway, uh, when I go to Starbucks, I've noticed something about what they do. If you say your order in any way that's not in the format, they will repeat it back to you in the format. Have you noticed that? So I could go there and I could say, I want an extra large latte, uh, chocolate and peppermint, and please make it decaf, 2%. And they will repeat it back to me. It says, I have for you a venti decaf peppermint mocha with 2%. Would you like anything else? They get it exactly the way they've been trained to speak it back to you because they've been trained to do that. It's almost like reflexive, right? So much so that I've picked up on it, and I've noticed that they do this, and the same thing is true with Chick-fil-A. I've, have you noticed that? Just try to tell them thank you. Say thank you. My pleasure. So I picked up on this, and my wife is like shaking her head. She knows what I do. I'm a little ornery. And so I'll go through the drive-thru and I said, now watch. I'm going to see how many times I can get a my pleasure out of these folks. Watch it. I think I've gotten up to about seven. Yeah, eight. She's counted eight. Sometimes I get very disappointed. I'm like, well, they weren't trained very well. I only, I, I didn't get a my pleasure out of that one. So disappointing, such a letdown. But they have been trained. And in their training, then the my pleasure is a part of their culture, and it's just a reflexive thing. They just do it naturally. I would like to say to you that as Christians, a very much a part of our training ought to be the very thing that we're talking about this morning. We should train ourselves to be like the master. So that in every situation, as we live out our lives, we are doing what the master would do. And so that leads me to this second idea, and that is that our mission is to serve. Our identity is servant. Jesus says, you're a servant. No servant is greater than his master. You're a servant. But also, when the gospel impacts you, you become someone who actually does serve. It's not going to do any good to be called a servant and not serve. You get no tip. <laughs> I don't ever do that, by the way. I'm always aware that there are a lot of reasons why someone might not do well. And you might disagree with me on this, but I just feel like in no way do I want them to find out I'm a believer, see me pray, or anything else. 
and not pay them. So that wasn't in my notes, but anyway, it's free. Free stuff. Don't you love free stuff, Pastor Jerome? And Jesus says, if you know these things, verse 17, blessed are you if you do them. In several places in this text, we see this idea of know, the word know come up. Knowing and know, and if you know, it's here. Jesus knew some stuff. He knew that his hour had come, that he was about to return to the Father, but that means he has to go through the cross. He knew that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He knew that whatever was happening, that nothing could thwart the plan of God, that he would be okay. And he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. And all the while, sandwiched in between these two statements of Jesus knew, Jesus knew, is this act of Judas. Jesus knew that too. He knew that he wasn't clean. He knew that Judas had a, had a dark heart and wanted to hurt him. I will venture to guess that Jesus washed every foot at that, at that dinner that night, and he washed Judas's feet. It's very instructive to us because a lot of times what runs in the way of us wanting to serve other people is ourselves and how we feel, and that we want to get justice, or we're angry, or we don't feel like they deserve it, or they treated me bad, or whatever. And Jesus did not let that kind of thing stop him from demonstrating love and service, even to his betrayer. I think that's why that little tidbit is sandwiched in between those two knowing statements. Jesus knew. So how could he serve Judas like that? One is because it was in his nature to do so. He loved, and he also served. It was in his nature. But also, I believe Jesus did it because he knew that the Father would vindicate him. He knew that the Father would take care of him. He knew it was going to all turn out all right. And a lot of people say, I can't forgive you because I think I'm going to lose something if I forgive you. i got to hold you to this grievance because if I let it go, I might lose. I have to cut in line ahead of you and get ahead of you because if I don't, I might lose. I have to protect all of my time because if I don't, I might lose. I have to hold on to my money because if I don't, I might lose. I have to hold on to my dreams for my life, my vision for what I want to do because if I don't, if maybe Jesus asks me to do something else, I might lose. And The New Testament has different ways of putting this. If you live your life for Jesus, if you live your whole life for Jesus, and you live this way, you will not be put to shame. God is not going to let you down, and you are not going to be a loser. You're going to be a winner. He will take care of you, and ultimately, you get a share in Jesus. So you haven't lost anything. It's the big lie to think that we're going to lose if we love. So I want to challenge you this morning to take up the basin and the towel and love people with an open heart, freely and liberally, to give cheerfully, 
to love people unconditionally, to serve people in this community and in this church. I want to challenge you to take up the mindset of the master and to be someone that lives their life radically because you know things. You know things. It reminds me of some t-shirt I saw. This guy's, I know stuff. You could wear that. I don't know what that means. It may mean something else. And if it's bad, please don't hold me to that. I don't know. But anyway, I thought it was funny when I saw it. We just live our lives armed with this truth. It doesn't make sense to people that don't know Jesus. It doesn't make sense to people who don't know the gospel. It doesn't make sense to Christians who haven't really meditated on the meaning of the gospel and allowed it to deeply impact them. So so I'm going to give you some examples as I wrap up because I see what time it is. There have been times in my own life, in my own ministry, when I've thought, why do I want to consider continue to serve this person or these people who have betrayed me? And I have felt that. I'm just going to be very transparent with you. It was a real crisis for me. Ingratitude, rudeness, lack of thoughtfulness, and betrayal. And I thought, you know, I could do something else. I don't have to take this. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to hurt like this. And leaders do experience that. But I just kept thinking about Jesus. Well, I got to think about Jesus. What did he do? Well, if he can do that, and he hasn't released me from here, then he expects me to love people to the end. When he says it's time. And he expects me to give of myself and to serve and to love people freely with an open heart because I know God will take care of me. I know God will make it right. And I believe that still to this day. Sometimes people who serve in church can become tired. There are often people that do a lot. Sometimes they get to feeling like they do everything. They feel taken advantage of and they're tired. I've been there. I have felt that way. I'm like, where's everybody else? It's work day and there's two people here. Of course. Amy and me, right? (laughs) And so you can allow that to work on you, or you can say, I am not going to miss an opportunity to serve others with joy and with an open heart of love and to honor and glorify my master. I get to experience the fellowship of his suffering I get to experience the power of his resurrection. I get the privilege and the pleasure of walking through life with the master. And I get to identify with him. And that ought to be the mindset. Perhaps there's somebody that you're taking care of. That can be very hard. You've moved them in and you're taking care of them. 
that can be very, very difficult. Maybe your siblings aren't helping. You feel taken advantage of. You feel like a slave. But every time you wipe the face of your mom or your dad, every time you show them love, not only is that natural, but you have an opportunity to worship Jesus. You have an opportunity to act like the master. So enjoy it. Don't let anything steal that joy from you. Savor the moment. Every moment you can capture to act like the master. Maybe you're struggling to forgive someone. And you need to let it go. You need to let them know that you love them. And the next time you see them in the grocery store in aisle 13, you're not going to act like you didn't see them. You're going to go up to them and demonstrate love. You're going to go up to them and you're going to serve. You're going to go up to them and demonstrate kindness because you get to act like the master. And finally, I just want to say, we need to live on mission for Jesus. We all have been placed here uh, in this part of the world and in this world to be on mission for Jesus and to share the gospel with people. And the greatest act of love you can demonstrate, the most Christ-like thing you can do is to share the gospel with people. And so I want to challenge you this morning to consider your life and whether or not sharing the gospel is a part of your life. Sometimes there are things that get in the way of sharing the gospel, like getting canceled and rejected. Canceled is just another word for persecution for a Christian in the sense that if you share Christ and you get canceled, you're just getting persecuted. Now, there are other cancels. I understand that. I don't want to get into all that. It's unpleasant. But are you willing to be rejected for Christ? It takes love and servanthood to be willing to serve people that may push you away and call you ugly things. Do you have time? Are you in a rush? I got to minister to my neighbor the other day. I was very, very much in a hurry. I wanted to get my lawn mowed. I knew it was going to rain in like 15 minutes. And we stood out there and talked because I knew he needed to talk. And I've been praying for him. I've been praying for his heart since his surgery. I've been praying for his spiritual heart. I'm like, you know what? Right in front of me right now, God has placed an opportunity. And I'm not going to waste it because I'm just so concerned with my lawn. Are you following me this morning? So I want to challenge you. There are a lot of people this morning that might think, why did you, Greg, not talk about the ceremonial washing? And where are the bulls? Are we going to do that this morning? No. It'd be very easy for us to do that and never live it out. 
And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for foot washing. I've seen it be a powerful moment. It's not my favorite thing to do. Maybe I need it (laughs) to be humbled. (laughs) But I just want to challenge you with this idea this morning. It would be very easy to do some kind of a ceremonial thing in here and not really make it a part of who we are or how we live out there or in here. We did our thing. We're done. We're spiritual because we humbled ourselves and let someone wash our feet or we wash someone's feet. It has to go much deeper and farther than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to help us to grasp the love of God, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the greatness of your love for us in Christ Jesus. How you pursued us, how you left the glories of heaven, Lord Jesus, to come after us on a rescue mission. And you left it all aside and you emptied yourself so that you could serve us. You bowed before us and washed our feet. Thank you. Right now, this morning, Lord, we're asking that you will do a deep, work in our hearts. Right now, this morning, there are people in this room that need to forgive. And this morning, in obedience and response and in repentance, they are forgiving. Right now, they are making the decision. And I would even encourage you, if this is you, that you even give voice to it. I forgive so-and-so for what they did to me, and I will show them love from this point forward. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning, Lord, there are others that need to really let the Holy Spirit do a deep evaluation of their life. When they put their life up against the life of Jesus, they say, my life does not look like the master that I say I serve, and I need to make some changes. I need to make some changes In my priority, I need to make some changes in the way I see myself, the way I see Jesus, the way I see others. I need to make some changes in my priorities and my values, the way I use the resources God has given me, the way I use my time. So right across this room this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing a deep work in hearts, a deep work of evaluation and self-inspection. Say, God, I surrender to you. Lord, we are surrendering to you, Lord Jesus. Our master, help us to be like you. Help us to be like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.